Hello there, and welcome to Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. I'm Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister. And joining us this week is a man who's an interviewer extraordinaire, journalist, giant of the Scottish tabletop gaming scene, and hopefully he'll be able to help us out with the weird problems in the basement, for I believe he is a wizard. It's Richard from We're Not Wizards. Oh no, wait, you're not a wizard. Is that right? I don't know. I... It's the season of October, so I mean, I'm quite happy to swing kind of both ways at the moment. As the time of recording, I do have my wand out, so there you go. It is true, and it is an impressive wand, ladies and gentlemen, it has to be said. How are you doing, Richard? I'm good, yeah. I have been playing quite a few board games, and I've been just generally interviewing everybody that I can before the world ends, basically. Which seems to be a, fa- a fresh reason to interview as many people as possible and um, just getting in the run-up for Christmas and not talking about Essen and <laughs> <laughs> avoiding anything to do with cons because it seems like everybody else is having fun yeah, being in Germany we're not, we're not just going, now. We're not. And that, yeah, yeah. One, one, <laughs> yeah. one, little, one little thing just before we continue. This is going to go out after Essen. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's fine. fine. Just, just saying, like for the rest <laughs> of the cast, we're talking about if we if we mention it or even mention this, and we'll have to like yeah mention it as oh, it right. is okay. in the past. Okay, okay. Yeah, it'll, there'll be a lot of S in chat the week this cast goes out because this will be going out the week after S, and so there'll be probably loads of board gaming news. We're in a sort of slightly fallow news period, and just we now, won't so. know anything of it because our scheduling is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we scheduled this perfectly. We've got one cast beforehand and then one cast two weeks after Essen. By by each time, everyone will know everything. (laughs) And it's all fizzled down. This is like cutting-edge news coming to you live and direct, um, as if you've gone on holiday for a fortnight kind of thing. So, you know. You know, it's as if you'd taken a nice relaxing break (laughs) on a nice island somewhere with no communication, didn't know anything about the board game world, you'd come back and our dulcet tones will help ease you back into everything that's going on. I I think that's the best the best way to do it. And 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 if people know what they're know they're worth, then this will be the only news podcast that they'll be listening to, and they'll definitely not be bothering tuning in to any social media channels at all. I mean, why would you do that? None. I have no idea. None. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. These are the headlines for the week of the twenty eighth of October, two thousand and nineteen. Gamecrafter games find themselves on Kickstarter without the creator's knowledge. Exploding kittens are money-grabbing little critters. And Iranian game designers denied visas for Essen. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Yes, we're starting with an actual piece of Kickstarter fraud this week. Really? I know in the past we have said that... I know, I know. It's not often we talk about Kickstarter on this on this broadcast, but we are going to do that this week. But this is actual fraud as opposed to, you know, just sort of mistakes and campaigns collapsing it was a company called white helm games put out a game called dungeon horde on kickstarter copying a game also called dungeon horde also by a company called white helm games that is on the game crafter now the game crafter if you're not familiar with it is a site where you can basically put together your own games in the states and send them out to people but you don't have to hold a lot of stock the game crafter effectively assembles the the game's uh, print on demand effectively the original creator of dungeon horde uh, ernest formoso 
commented on the Kickstarter campaign that this had been stolen from him. And what then transpired was a very aggressive reaction from the person who had put up this fraudulent campaign, calling people all sorts of names, typing very weird sentences that made was, absolutely no sense. and just It was very Ali G. It was incredible. Just like words that made no sense or just missing some letters. Just... And like threatening to kill people and send assassins after them, and it was just astonishing. Apparently, this person has also put up another ca- uh, Kickstarter campaign for a game called Christ is Born. This is also copied from a Game Crafter game. And yeah, it got pulled down by Kickstarter pretty quickly, as did the Dungeon Horde one, thankfully. Uh, just a, it's just another reminder to check what you're actually getting from Kickstarter, and it is slightly worrying that Kickstarter kind of let this stuff through. I know they can't check everything, but it seems a little odd, especially the, t- the there's some weird tiering going on in the Dungeon Horde campaign, and the whole thing didn't look legitimate. It looked very odd and strange, which is why I think people started to look into it. Just an absolutely incredible thing. Yeah, I'm just surprised that Kickstarter as a platform doesn't have ability to check for kind of almost like um, self kind of plagiarism that I would reckon one of the checks it would actually do would be to see kind of the legitimate um the legitimate whether the campaign's legitimate whether there's 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 kind of places on that that could could flag up and say oh this has been used before yeah i can see that on um, existing campaigns people using templates and stuff like that but it just it just strikes once again that kickstarter seems to be a place which is quite happy to collect the money without having kind of any of the realms of responsibility for the behavior that it kind of um entices or you know can see it's on its own platform, which is kind of surprising to me. Kind of really, yeah, yeah. It is. It is a weird one. It does seem to be like, I like a quick Google would have you know sorted this out before approving the Kickstarter. Hey, look, there's another game called Dungeon Horde. Oh, look, it's exactly identical. Oh, look, it's got the exactly same artwork. <laughs> We've seen this before on Steam when there was the green light program, and there was just mm. this, yeah for quite a while this spate of copy paste asset flips that flooded the market and the quality control wasn't there and it took the huge concerted effort from i think from the community outcry for steam to actually do something and it might just be we can yeah we as you know g- gamers who use kickstarter just continue to s- make this outcry and hope that something will change i suppose if you're spending all your time union smashing instead you'd Chen to forget the small, small. Oh, I made a political. Oh, can we ring the bell? Yeah, speaking of money. Speaking of lots of money, actually, and little tiny uh, furry animals that have brought a lot of joy and are basically all over the shelves. Basically, um, exploding kittens are just gathering money like a cat gathers little furry mice toys into his basket because there's been announcement that TCG Capital Management has invested $30 million into the Exploding Kittens Incorporated, which is the company behind the um, the eponymous Exploding Kittens, as well as Bears vs. Babies and their recent uh, throw-throw burrito. Um, the money itself is going to be used to grow the company, develop new games and new ideas to build their community and to expand into live events, which seems to be the 
a little bit of a cash cow kind of generating your own kind of live event ticket prices and stuff like that and I've no doubt that people this is the interesting thing I think that exploding kittens reach is quite big that I could see families attending it not just yeah. kind of gamers in terms of I can see it being quite a kind of like a, a mainstream event um of course, the company Exploding Kittens Incorporated was founded by Matt Inman, who is author of the the rather funny um, and interesting webcomic The Oatmeal, and Elan Lee, who's the former chief design officer at Xbox. TCG Capital Management are part of the, the Chernin Group LLC. They're an investment firm dedicated to building consumer businesses. And as we know, as I said, well, Exploding Kittens, they are actually hosting their own gaming convention, Burning Cat. <laughs> No cats will be burnt. Uh, I hope that's a huge disclaimer on that because I wouldn't, because <laughs> it's just the smell. Yeah. It's right up there with wet dog. But they are basically, it's going to be in Portland, Oregon next year, which they're aiming to reinvent the fan convention to put more emphasis on actual gaming community and having fun. Which people say that to me, and the first thing I think about is well, there's a few conventions over here that seem to be doing that, like Aircon, for instance. Seem to be doing quite a good job of. Don't don't bring game. your advertising onto this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm just you saying, monster. I'm just tabletop Scotland as well. I felt they were both kind of events that were concentrating on the gaming. I don't, I'm yeah. just wondering what are they talking about? Are we talking about kind of kind of mainstreaming it, getting more kind of families involved, traditional kind of what they would say the non-gaming type people. This is a slightly unusual rather more serious story which does have which does have a little bit of a a little bit of a story to it so if you come sit down by the audio fire and i will tell you a story now on uh, on the 26th of september of this year two iranian game publishers uh, reality game and dorahami games they were unable to secure a german company to ship their games to essenspiel which of course has just gone on this past weekend if you're listening on the day of release. Their plan, therefore, would be to go to Essen and take copies of their games in their luggage and you know, hopefully sell as many as they can to people who might be interested. However, uh, Sorab Mostajim, I hope I said that right, of Reality Game, tweeted on October the 8th, his visa had been denied uh, to Germany on the grounds of, we are not convinced of the goal of your trip. Despite Sorab attesting he had reserved a booth at Essenspiel for 4,200 euros and was also hosting a panel at the convention uh, called What Do Iranians Like to Play and What Social Roles Does the Game Scene Play? You'd think that's, hopefully, something that might qualify him to, to come through. Yeah. However, on October the 9th, just the next... Yeah, day, you think that's evidence enough? Yeah, you'd think so. A day after he posted that, he then tweeted again saying... All Iranian exhibitors were denied vis uh, visas to Germany, except one, uh, but he's an American citizen, so that kind of doesn't count. Alongside that, Amir Salamati from Rumiz Games, another one of the companies that was going to exhibit at Essen, had to cancel a scheduled interview, citing, I just want to inform that my visa for Germany has been rejected. Apparently, German Embassy believes that I will leave my wife, my family, my house, and my business here and try to stay in Germany after Spiel. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of board, borderline racism. I think, I think, I think there is there, there may be, and again, this is all conjecture, but there may be some 
possibility mm. that people are being leaned on diplomatically and there's this idea of coming across and staying as possible intelligence agents and oh we're coming across for a board game convention that's a very you know good excuse but that is all conjecture that isn't no that's not what's going on i don't think but to continue the story the organizing company of essen uh friedhelm merz verlag got in contact with the german embassy in tehran after there was a, a large outcry on board game geek which some some part of the story broke and had a lot of people including game designer bruno faduti saying email the the embassy in Tehran, and also email the people who own Essen, see if something can be done about this. Alongside this, the Iranians who had had their visas denied had also sent an open letter to several European organizations, uh, which we will link to in the show notes, a copy of it uh, via Instagram. However, they did say it was unlikely this would be resolved for this year's Essen spiel. With that being said, as of this day of recording, which is the 22nd of October, the news is that the past weekend at Essen, some publishers' games have been shipped, and some representatives from the publishers have been on site. Is it a good resolution? I'm not going to judge that. Is it potentially setting a worrying precedent, considering the slightly unstable and uncertain diplomatic and global times we're now living in? Possibly. Yeah. But, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I think... It's something that we are going to see more of as a, as a problem as when we see Expo next year, Expo uh, Games Expo 2020. They'll, they'll have been over Essen in the last weekend trying to get publishers to come over. And I think they're going to have a problem with that because this kind of thing might happen in a post-Brexit Britain. Like, where are they going to be? Is a German publisher or a French publisher ever going to be able to get a visa easily to come over to a convention for a weekend. Is that a thing that's going to be difficult to do in the past? No, it's been easy and everyone can move around, but it's not going to be the case. And this is an example of the kind of thing that can happen when that sort of freedom of movement is just not there. But now, moving on to the rest of the news. So we're back to Kickstarter again. I've got all the Kickstarter news this week, and this time it's yet another board game tablet is going to be hitting Kickstarter, well, hitting Kickstarter right now. This is the Game Board One, a 16 inch by 16 inch tablet, which is designed for tabletop gaming. It's designed by Rob Wyatt, who is the system architect on the original Xbox. Uh, they, he's formed a company called The Last Game Board, which he is CTO and co-founded with uh, CEO Shale Meta. Uh, The Kickstarter campaign launch was just days after reports that Wyatt had left the Atari VCS retro console project, claiming that he hadn't been paid for his work for six months, um, which is not great. Uh, They want the Game Board 1 to eventually be able to interact with physical pieces like an RPG character, keeping stats and aiming for for buying individual games or a Netflix-alike system for games and pairing your mobile with a tablet as a controller. Stuff, sort of stuff we've seen from other projects like this in the past. It's $349 to back, which is not exactly cheap, considering a Switch is in the $300 range these days. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a wee look at the companies that are on board to make games for it, and the only actual board game company I could see was Cryptozoic, um, which are makers of the DC Rebirth and um, various other games as well. Yeah, I, I just don't know about these attempts to... Like, there's 
I'm all for sort of digital integration in the board games. I'm quite a fan of uh, Chronicles of Crime, which I've been playing recently with my wife. That's really good. And I, I quite like some of the app integration stuff I've been seeing. But the, the stuff like Teberu that's coming from Simon and the previous attempts to do a board game tablet like this, it just seems kind of unnecessary. Everyone's kind of got tablets or phones or that kind of thing we can play board game adaptions on. And I just don't quite see the point of this really i mean and also uh, i'd warn anyone off like tech kickstarters are the most risky ones by a long shot so do be very careful if you do back this. A, a little a little sorry it's like it might be slightly flippant it's called the game board one written down here as the game board dash one not as i first looked at it and thought the game board minus one because <laughs> i kind of went why are they calling it that and i honestly it took me longer than i i'm happy to admit to go Oh, it's the Game Board One. Okay, okay, okay. Does that also, but also calling it Game Board One? Does that imply there'll be iterative upgrades, hardware-wise, oh, and suddenly you won't be able to play your know. games? I don't know. I'll tell you why I'm not sold on it because um, two reasons: I play board games to sometimes get away from technology, mm-hmm. and secondly, as um, other failed experiments are of of happen when you get interaction with technology and analog, is that as soon as the company, the tech company moves on and decides to finish doing whatever they're doing and no longer support the software, you're stuck with a game that just doesn't work. Whereas, you know, you just, you just there's nothing you can do. You might as well put it to one side. And it does happen. It continually happens with versions of consoles and stuff like that. We seem to get a new console every four or five years where technically I can take a copy of any board game from the shelf that can be 15 20 years old and i can still get it to the table and i can play it and i don't i don't i've not seen anything that's made me go i kind of need this in my life i need to be staring at a street screen while i'm staring at a board not convinced no i mean i mean if something like the switch actually has a lot of board game apps on it already and is a much better console because it's got the support of a gigantic computer games company behind exactly. it exactly and you'd be much better off buying that jamie what's happening over in glasgow many many things ian you know this it's a, it's a very happening city but a group of academics at glasgow university has put their heads together and they've come up with a way of making family law apparently engaging and enjoyable and that is a board game called legally wed which apparently sees players according to the release, race around the board to be the first up the aisle, completing various steps along the way. (laughs) No sniggering back there, you two. Completing various steps along the way, including the legal formalities required for a valid marriage. Which I'm always happy as a fan of Genius Games, the company who puts STEM-focused subjects as board games uh, and who I own a copy of Cytosis, the cell biology board game. And at UK Games Expo this year, Ian and I played Periodic, one of their new games about the periodic table. Very much enjoy. I'm, it was good. I'm, I'm less wary than other people might be on edutainment games. Now, Felicity Beaton, who is one of the designers and one of the academics, has said, We think this new board game is a great way to help raise public awareness of some of the complexity of the law around marriage. Uh, Another one of the designers, Dr. Frankie McCarthy, said, We weren't trying to make a game initially, 
but we've always been interested in different ways of engaging our students in the area of family law. Now, I am no lawyer. Is family law hard to engage with? I. It makes it sound like it's a bit difficult. Anyway, uh, the designers of Dr. Frankie McCarthy, Felicity Beaton, and uh, Professor Jane Mayer, head of the Law School of Glasgow, collaborated with a graphics company and produced a prototype, which was released last month, and they're aiming, aiming for a commercial release sometime next year. Now, I am generally... Okay, then. Yeah, I am all for games trying to make subjects that are maybe a little bit... Um, little bit out there a little bit difficult hard to engage with easier to understand as i've said previously uh, cytosis is a game about cell biology now i did a bit of higher biology and advanced higher biology and i really enjoyed it i kind of didn't understand it and cytosis has kind of helped me i don't know about you gentlemen yeah i mean it sounds fairly basic from a game point of view but i'm always interested when people use games to educate in an educational sort of setting. Uh, I know that Juniper Green board games that I go to, they recently helped out the Midlothian Science Festival with a sort of board game day doing things like uh, Cytosis, some of the some of the genius games and uh, things like Photosynthesis, sort of science, the games with a sort of science inflection as well. Yeah, it's good to see, to see that kind of stuff and I think we'll see more of that as board games take more of a hold in a sort of wider social context. It's good. So, in the last week or so, there has been a bit of a Twitter storm, trash fire, however you want to call it, over a particular social media platform. This is a company called, um, what was the company called? Feed Me Games. Yeah, this is a company called Feed Me Games, who had made a new social platform that specifically for tabletop gaming had done a bit of research and a bit of reach out, had launched the thing and then basically posted a massive rant about why no one was coming to their site. That's pretty, that got us thinking a little bit about so board game social media in general and the communities that we interact with personally, be that Twitter, Reddit, BGG forums, any of the innumerable Facebook groups. Uh, the, the board game world is spread over a wide variety of social media platforms. So is it time that we do centralize the community in some way or form, like bring them together in one place? Does that already exist? Or or is a variety of venues to discuss board games actually the strength of the community as opposed to a weakness? What do you think, Jets? I will say, if I can go first, that I think that um, the percentage of interactivity regarding board games, I think there's a vast majority of it doesn't happen online. <laughs> To be honest, and I think yeah. that there's a, you know, in, in terms of community, a lot of people will think about, you know, they think about online community, but the offline community in board games is certainly an awful lot to a lot of people is um, the reason that they go out on a Friday or the reason they go out, you know, once a week to, to kind of meet physically with people and to interact physically with people. And I think that, um, and people have certain certain parts of the community that they interact with because they want to and certain parts of the community that they interact with because they have to in order mm. to maintain a certain level of presence. So, for instance, I very much um, enjoy interacting, say, on several groups like, say, Sporadically Bored. I love going into that group because it's really good fun. I also like interacting on Twitter with people. However, in terms of, like, Board Game Geek... 
and maybe our own Facebook group. We don't have a Facebook group for ourselves. Um, and I feel that I'm putting stuff on Board Game Geek because I feel I have to in order to keep the presence of the brand up on Board Game Geek. Not yeah. because I see, I don't rush off and say, oh, I've got to check this on Board Game Geek, which sounds really, really strange. But <clears throat> if we put like a, a review out there, I'll make sure that I put that on Board Game Geek so it's there, not because I know that there's an audience kind of there. And it happens occasionally, but I think that um, there's a lot of people who surround themselves with the online community and think that's the be-all and end-all. And I see it kind of like, you know, that's where they kind of express themselves, and which is fine. But I reckon that's the, the tip of the iceberg with regards to what the actual physical community is. And I'm more likely to see aspects of a proper community Maybe when I visit a con, when I go to like Tabletop Scotland or something like that, when I'm meeting people face to face, these are people I'm meeting that are, you know, friends and stuff like that, I think. And, uh, you know, and so did this feed, did this guy that put this platform out there, there's several big mistakes that he made with it. That's fine. I mean, it's baby steps. Um, I think, uh, you know, peeing in the bathwater <laughs> and throwing a hissy fit, which was absolutely hilarious at the time, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think you, everybody kind of joined in underneath and went, ah, ha, ha, kind of, you made a big, big mistake, which is fair enough, you know, people do that. But also, we don't need it. I'm not sure we kind of need it. I'm not sure we need a dedicated platform because I mm. I think that you can end up being surrounded just by it. And I think people would be interested, then they would just jump away because they're more interested in other things and people than they are just talking about board games nonstop. For all that... Facebook has been in the public eye for various negative issues over the past couple of years. It is that accessibility that sadly is, you know, one of the main draws for having so many different, for example, Facebook gaming groups going, I can look and see how my family are doing, how my friends are doing. Oh, I can also see, you know, what people's thoughts are on this new game that's come out or people have got things to trade. This is great. This is accessible. I'm able to get this all in one place. Yeah, I think it can, there can be leads to kind of like polarization of depending on if you feel you're fitting in the right way with the community as well. Because I've recently seen kind of cases of Facebook groups being open up, which claim to are saying we are not going to censor anybody and it's all about free speech, but it's actually people saying some fairly kind of using it as an excuse just to say some fairly nasty things. So it's not a case that they're saying, oh, I'm here to give my point of view. It's a case of I'm here to say some kind of nasty things uh, because um, I know if I say it in other certain places, people are going to say, hang on, why are you saying that kind of thing? I'm going to be, there's a certain level of responsibility. So um, just interested. Um, Yeah, board game community is still kind of growing and changing and we'll see what happens over the next couple of years with it. I think... um, you know, and again, I'll just reiterate. I just don't think the online community really wholeheartedly represents the the hobby and the people that I know. A lot of people who I play games with on a regular basis who care nothing for Facebook or Twitter or even Board Game Geek in some ways as well, and still are you would consider that they're still vibrant members of the community because they are getting down and probably doing what an awful lot of social media folk aren't doing, which is actually just playing games for the fun of it and not playing games because they're having to review them or comment about them or make sure they know stuff about them so they can talk about them. 
kind of thing, which is a strange irony. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to be yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. You, know, you should play games just to have fun and not to talk about them on a podcast. Car. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Wait, hold on. <gasps> yeah, it's it's an in- it's an interesting thing that like we were like we were talking about earlier in the cast, exploding kittens, for instance, is one of those games that doesn't really care about board game geek at all in any way or no. form because its audience is completely different. Unlike yourself, Richard, that I post to some places because I have to. Like I have a Facebook page for yes. the Giant Brain because it's free advertising, and why wouldn't I? We do have a group, but I really need to shut it down because I don't do anything with it at all. And Twitter is my main sort of source of interaction for social media, mostly because I my primary interaction with the community is writing, and Twitter is for that. I don't use Instagram as much, but someone like Ross from More Games Please does because his primary mm-hmm. thing is taking photos of board games and very good photos of board games. But yeah, I I, I agree. I don't think we need a, a central reserve of social of social media for the hobby. I don't think you can really make that happen either. It's just it's just too difficult to actually establish that and make it a thing. I mean, there's so many social media platforms, and the reason for that is everyone likes something different. That's the reason there's not just one. And variety is the spice of life, and we each we each find our own things that that speaks to us. And that's my two cents on that. <laughs> I think just the case of you, if you're actively trying to um, <clears throat> kind of engage across all social media. There's naturally some that you'll find an awful lot easier to do and that you'll enjoy and you'll end up interacting with yeah. kind of more. And there's some that you know that you like I the reason that we don't have a Facebook group is quite simply because I work during the day and the thought of having to then go back at night and see what I have to kind of monitor. And there's no way you can run a group without just yourself. I don't think it's possible. I think you need to have I kind of a couple of people managing it just in case you do get folk that are going on to be kind of troubling or edgy or you have to kind of like almost like split people up until one of them sit in the living room and the other one is sitting on the stairs kind of thing because it does I think it kind of happens in all in all kind of places basically. And now a word from our sponsors. Will David escape from the car crash? We'll never know, but tune in tomorrow when we find out. But first, I know all you people out there, you huge Hallmark fans. Well, I've just got to say to you that the American TV channel and card shop Hallmark has brought out its own version of Monopoly on October 25th. Isn't that just amazing, you good people? I know, I know you, I know you want to pick up the phone, but this isn't for sale. Hallmark, we're famous for our feel-good, cheesy, romantic holiday films, including The Last Christmas Tree, Foot. Smoky Footprints on the Hearth and Santa's Last Sad Puppy that had to take its last final trip to the vet and everybody cried. Um, They're pretty cookie cutter, but nevertheless, they've got a huge following. We've got properties that are romantic film sets and locations such as Skating Pond or a Christmas Tree Farm. And you have houses and hotels that are cottages and inns. Cottages and inns, respectively. Unlike the Pasha Ibiza or Ibiza 
edition if you're in America from the last podcast. This version will have a special Hallmark-related playing pieces, such as a watering can, I know, sit down, ice skates, ice cream, and prepare yourself, prepare yourself, Granny McMurray, a Christmas tree. I know. Callers are waiting by to take your call, but you cannot get this. You have to go to the shop. It'll be available on Target.com. That's Hallmark, the Monopoly game, available October 25th. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. And before we go, just to skate away from the Monopoly car, there was a, an interview about a year ago. This story just popped up again. It's, it's an interesting story. It's worth a wee worth a wee mention there was an interview last year with the musician graham nash formerly of the hollies and crosby stills and nash on sirius xm in which graham nash talked about playing risk with the one the only mr Jimi hendrix and i will quote graham nash here jimmy would play risk on acid and i never and me personally ever beat him at all he was unbeatable at it he was a military man you know He's a paratrooper, and I don't know whether you know that about Jimmy, but no one ever beat him at risk. Brainwaves for all your dead musician <laughs> board game news. Uh, dear. <laughs> and then, and next week we'll be talking about why Mark Boland from T Rex was ex was excellent at Guess Who. <laughs> spoilers, Richard. Spoilers. <laughs> Before we go, we'd just like to give a little shout out to our executive producers, the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe, and especially this week because Kathleen and Robert from the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe got married this last weekend. So congratulations, folks. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't visit the cafe while we were through in Glasgow because of their nuptials, which is just disgraceful. But we ho- wish you all... Boo. We, boo, indeed. We wish you all the best for the future, and we hope to see you both soon. Yeah, thank you very much, guys, and massive congratulations. Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute delight as usual. Where can people find you on the interweb? Um, you can find me on the interweb net. So if you go to the Googles and you search for We're Not Wizards, you'll find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you'll find us on our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com and our main site, which is we'renotwizards.com. Um, you'll find us on all the podcast catchers of choice. That's all the podcasts catch us with the word pod and the word cast in them and some that don't have the word pod or cast in them such as say Spreaker if you have enjoyed the show tonight then I suggest you go to Apple Podcasts and you search for the giant brain and brainwaves and tell other people about it first of all but also jump on just now to Apple Podcasts and give these five fabulous people a rating a review and definitely give them as many stars as they allow you to do. I believe it could be six, it might be four, but if you aim for the middle, which is five, that would be absolutely fantastic. Well, that's basically my job done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. As Richard says, do give us a review and rating on iTunes and share our stuff about and do the same with Richard's podcast where he interviews all sorts of fabulous guests and you can find us on the usual places. Twitter at The Giant Brain, Instagram or Giant Brain UK, or Facebook is The Giant Brain and you can find our website at giantbrain.co.uk and do give us an email about anything on the show if you want to get involved at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Richard. That's a lovely wizard hat you're wearing. And uh, good night. No, good. Just just, just, just let it be. I don't have a comeback for that. Bazinga.